Uh, winter is mingling with our springtime today. Yet still snowdrops bloom. And it seems a myriad of green shoots of plants are on their way. It's wonderful to have a little spring fever in the air. And here we are at our third full day of Young Men Junction. And I hope some of you uh, on the screen have managed to join with us for some of this time. So good morning and may the Dharma prevail. You know, since I uh, met Sunam and started to get really interested in storytelling, I am almost out there rather tell a story than give a talk without a story. And so today I picked one. I don't have by memory very well, so I have a few notes. But it's about one of Sosan Sunim's disciples. Sosan lived in around 1600, late 1516, and was an exemplary Zen master in Kriya in many, many ways, not only as a scholar, but even as a kind of activist on behalf of the whole country. Uh, when the Japanese invaded. And the, the story today is about his student, Byonyang. Byonyang. Uh, and so the first part starts on the monast in the monastery at uh, Diamond Mountain. And uh, Byonyang is late for Yebel the evening service. So he feels it's his responsibility to go to Sosan, his master, and apologize. And so he goes and he says, Master, I'm sorry, I was late for Yebo. I was collecting mushrooms on Diamond Mountain and just lost track of time. So the master nodded and and then he said to him, have you seen any mountain lions up on the peak? Pyongyang didn't say anything, but suddenly roared loudly and jumped fiercely at Sosan and bit him. <laughs> Sosan grabbed his Zen stick, you know, to try to prevent this, but, and get back at him, but Pyongyang dodged him. And so Sosan said, wonderful, wonderful, today I have been beaten. So the next day he gathered all of the students at the, of the monastery. And he said, I want you to tell, I want to tell you that there's a, quite a fierce mountain lion on Diamond Mountain. You better, really watch out for this lion. I've been bitten by it. 
He said, be careful or you'll be attacked by him. Then he pounded his Zen stick. Kind of neat to have these Zen sticks. They're so spontaneous and left. And in the night, it said that he brought Pyongyang with him to his room and uh, uh, gave, had a little ceremony saying that he'd awakened. So Pyongyang was an official disciple awakened and he took it quite seriously and he thought that he should test his practice just because he got enlightened in the mountain. <laughs> what would it be like if he went off to the monastery and tried his practice there? And so he decided to leave, packed very few things that he would need and went down the mountain and um, came upon a field full of sheep. And there was a little sign that said, help wanted. And Pyongyang means sheep whip. And he said, well, that's my name. You know, it sounds like this is what I should do right now. <laughs> sheep whip. And when you think of it in sheep whip, if you look at it metaphorically, it means, you know, hurting thoughts. Hurting thoughts. So he approached the owner of the farm and said he would like to um, uh, work for him, taking care of the sheep at no pay. He just needed to be fed. And of course, the, the farmer was very happy with that. Of course, he could be fed. How about that? To just one you have to feed, you don't have to pay. Yeah. And so uh, Pyongyang began his work on the mountainside, um, taking the mountain to the sheep to the top of the mountains where there were grassy meadows and bringing them back to the barns in the, the evening and really, and getting some food from the farmer. But really, except for his practice, and his practice was Mu Utko, Mu Utko. That's what he would be saying all the time, just like some of you have practices that you do. So his was Mu Utko. And um, that's all he said. So he would go with the sheep, Mu Utko, Mu Utko, Mu Utko, Mu Utko. And uh, so people would go by, you know, and they would see him uh, working with the sheep and they would, they would hear him calling out, Mu Utko, like so. So they called him Mr. Mu Utko. Yeah. And other than that, it was quite a simple life with all this sheep herding. And after two years, he decided, I think my karmic work here is done. He said he, he felt like he got his practice going well, worked with the sheep. So he wrote a, a little note. At least that's what it says in the story, because I guess every maybe he could write, I guess Sosan could write, they were able to do that, to the farmer saying that his karmic load had been taken care of, thank you for feeding him and goodbye. So then he went on and because he felt he still needed to be tried. He'd done it alone on the mountain with the sheep. So 
when he went into the town, he saw that there were some people whose work was carrying water to all the homes and places. So he decided to become a water carrier. So he got a, a bamboo stick and he was able to somehow get some buckets and he started delivering water. And he said the only payment he wanted was to be fed. And so the women in the homes really began to uh, like Mu'utko, I mean, but they called him, um, what did they call him? Mr. Mu'utko, yeah. And after a while, um, they, be, they actually started to call him Mr. Eating because that's all he wanted for in, in payments. So that was Mr. Eating. And then he became known as Moko Hara Boji, which is the eating grandfather. So he went with the water carriers um, in the evening, hung out with them. Apparently he was able, you know, they would ask, they were curious about him, uh, not because they thought he was a monk, but just because he was an interesting person working just for food and uh, being always very cheerful. And so uh, he would talk Dharma with them, but street Dharma, you know, so that they could really understand. So they began to, they started to call him the water carriers, the runaway monk, because he seemed to have the gift of the Dharma, Gab. <laughs> yeah. And so he did that for quite a while again, uh, um, I think a year this time. And he was very active, gathering water from the river and carrying it. So it was strenuous. And he decided at a certain point to stop and he kind of disappeared from the water carriers union and um, ended up selling charcoal, charcoal um, in um, one of the bigger cities. Um, no, it was the same city, but he just, and he wanted to sell charcoal and just sit still again because he'd been doing so much wandering around, he wanted to sit still in the middle of a, a busy city and sell charcoal. So he did that. And the water carriers would go by and they say, oh, that's where you ended up, you know. And um, he, amidst all the turmoil of the city, kept his practice. That's what he wanted to be able to do wherever he went. Mutko, mutko, mutko. And then um, on one particular day, there happened to be a, a woman from who had been going to the monastery and who'd known him and he disappeared. So nobody knew where he went. Um, she identified him. Oh, that's the monk from the monastery, Fiona. And she identified him and she, he said, um, See what he said. Oh yeah, no. The, let me go back to my notes. The water care, the water vendor saw him. Hey, there's the runaway monk just sitting there. He must have gone crazy. And a woman who'd visited the monastery recognized him and told everyone he was a famous Zen master and successor to Sosan. He was discovered, had tested his Zen practice in several ways to his satisfaction. So he returned to the monastery. Yeah. He returned to Diamond Mountain. Yeah. So 
he tested himself in silence, attending sheep, and also attending his thoughts, watching, watching, always alone. You can know that's kind of like practice, always attending, always watching, alone. And then he went to the marketplace to do water filling and also um, the charcoal. And that was in the midst of all kinds of things. You know, people, travelers, farmers, business one, they're just a busy place. And then back to the monastery. So I am thinking that there's a, a, a little poem that I kind of made up and put together about the process of uh, sheep whip, sheep whipping, thought whipping. Just, let's see. Notice, worlds emerge, even flower, and fall away. Empires are created. Love stories unfold. Lights break out. The whole shebang plays out as we breathe in and out, in and out. Just notice, be present. Just return. Bring bare attention to it all. And all along, keep on bringing, breathing like old man river. He just keeps rolling. That same kind of spirit just keeps rolling along with practice in and out and in and out. What is it? Hana. Gate, gate, gate. What is it? Hana. Just keep it rolling. In and out. In and out. It both makes me think of Song of Meditation, the first three lines, the verses. Sit still, rest. You're one with all beings and sentient. Rocks, trees, mountains, rivers, clouds, sky. Breathe. Concentrate. You're one with all being sentient. Birds, animals, insects, worms, fish, humans. And probably uh, our sheep would, would have added, you know, sheep, charcoal, water, all of that. Arise from meditation with live wadu and meditation light. Streets, workplace, markets, travels are dharma realms. Every place is a dharma realm. A place of uh, every place in our retreat. Sometimes we think, well, I do my practice on my mat and cushion. Yeah, and kind of when I'm walking, you know, but sometimes 
It's just not there, but it's an opportunity. Every place is like that. Even in the midst of pain, I remember this period over the years, what was the period I hated the most because it would start and we'd have many periods of meditation in a row. We went out for walking and it kind of breaks it. But by the time it got to be 20 to, month, to one, my knees were killing me. If I, what all I wanted to do was just run right out. But I decided I was not going to do that. I was not even going to move. I was going to somehow work with it with my practice. And I found that the breath and my relaxation and body was very much a part of that. And it, I did it in the deepest way I ever have and found out a lot about my practice and my own mind by transforming that pain. It always came back again, but I always could work with it. So in every situation in our lives, we want to be able to, you know, like the all these situations in the poem, no, no matter what story is going on, what problem is going on, how to just be there with it and transform perhaps for a moment the pain. I mean, eventually the pain was different. And when I managed to get up again and going, then it was gone. But I knew I would have to face it again. I didn't get rid of it. And that's the same with our life over and over again. So how do we learn to transform the situation? Yeah, with our practice, with our breath, and mainly by referring to our body rather than getting into the conceptual stories that our mind cooks up. Yeah. So everything counts. Everywhere counts. Please dedicate to yourself. To yourself. This is for you and all beings. So remember that. I think sometimes we feel so good when we help other people. That's what keeps us going. So sometimes we have to say, I'm doing this, not just for me, I'm doing this for everybody. Yeah. So please dedicate yourself and yourself to your practice. Does that make sense? And you've always got more energy than you think. We usually say that late at night at Yangman Junction, okay, do a little more, you've got more energy than you think. But when you put yourself together with practice, concentration brings a kind of energy. It's not easy. It's hard work. It's good hard work. Thanks for being here and there to do it together, because oftentimes it's really harder to do it by ourselves. 
Okay, as we used to say, and I say still, Hapshida. You know what that means? Let's go. Hapshida.